Hey, this is Dylan Collins. I'm the CEO of Super Awesome, and I am your host on Kid Tech. Thanks for stopping by. We're kicking off the second half of season three of the show. Really, really interesting chat with uh, Izzy Nice. I think you're going to enjoy it. Um, see you in a bit. Welcome to Kid Tech, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with everyone who's involved in shaping kids digital media space today i am very fortunate to be here with izzy nice who's head of digital at mod squad izzy and i have known each other for years across mm-hmm. a few companies so i'm really really pleased to have her on the show uh izzy welcome thank you dylan we're 10 years we've known each other for 10 years i know it's a full decade isn't it yeah, it's a full um, decade it flew by <laughs> there is a lot to talk about yeah. um, because we, we first met when I was an investor uh, in, a, um, in a virtual world for kids and you were sort of teaching me a huge amount uh, about what was going on with community management and moderation and I feel like that entire conversation and that yeah. entire discipline has sort of like 100 x in, 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 in the period that that's sort of um, gone between all that. But hold on. First of all, um, let's just talk about Mod Squad for a sec. So sure. c- can you introduce Mod Squad and like, what do you guys do? Yeah. So Mod Squad's been around for 13, 14 years now. Um, we, we handle customer service, community management, moderation, and social media for a variety of companies across a variety of verticals. Basically, if you have a, a digital audience, we are there for you. Um, we provide services from tier one entry all the way up to strategy. Um, our, our big approach to the industry is to provide a human experience because community customer service moderation are all based on human interaction or human expectation. Um, so we really pride ourselves on building that level of authentic, genuine human support. Uh, we are in over 70 countries. We're in over 50 languages. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a, a really great experience. We have offices, but we're also, we're remote. We've been remote. We've been, uh, this right. company was built off of being remote. So the last year and a half has been quite the adventure for us because everybody's kind of joined us in this remote world. Yeah, uh, for sure. And, and wow, there's probably a whole bunch of questions to ask about that as well. <laughs> Um, but you 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 mentioned our uh, our decade, yes. and I'd like to sort of start a little bit, particularly for our audience who probably knows, you know, in many cases that community management isn't a thing or is a thing rather, but but is not necessarily sort of aware of all the nuances. So, like sure. when we go back, when we go back sort of ten years, right, and we think about sort of the era of. Um, sort of all the kids' um, web-based virtual worlds, right? The Fight My Monsters and the Moshi Monsters and everything else. Yeah. And um, can you can you talk a little bit about sort of as well as the health and 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 safety of digital communities and how the thinking has evolved from then up until now and like what are what are sort of the big trends and what's changed? Sure. It it's really interesting because in the early two thousands, um, the digital experiences really flirted with communities and virtual worlds for kids. Um, They're primarily marketing based, like uh, a, a, a virtual world created by say, a cereal company to help sell cereal, 
right? Or or a movie, and it was a, a, a Harry Potter, for example, had a very unique digital environment in which you could go, and it felt like you were going to Hogwarts, and you were signing up for a, a house, and it felt very much like you were part of this digital world, and then it had community elements to it. And over the mid 2000s, we started seeing more virtual like Neopets, uh, Yville, uh, a lot of those really early adaptations of, of virtual worlds. And at the time I was working in kids entertainment, um, writing books and cartoons and, and working on a lot of uh, interactive uh, multimedia platforms. We were trying to define what is what is community for the future, particularly for literary brands. Um, and it, it was such a it was such a fascinating time because YouTube was coming up. Facebook was still just for university students, but the, uh, kids were online. Kids were in chat rooms. They were on AIM. They were engaging. And if you didn't find a way to get them into a kid environment, then they were kind of left free for all. And there was only one law at the time, of course, uh, in the United States called COPPA. And that was 1997. Uh, and that's just based off of the idea that marketers could not take private information from children, period, the end. Um, and then there were a couple operators like myself, as I moved into community management, um, who saw that here's this gigantic world that kids are desperate for. It's their literal playgrounds online. Uh, kids wanted to be part of the imagination. They wanted like of anybody, that's, that's what kids crave is to be part of that magic. And there was no real development or thought process specific to kids in, in these atmospheres. They're kind of made by marketing teams operated like by an adult program with very little consequence rule or development or safety or community in them. So it's kind of had a front row seat um, while, while we were building out uh, what the digital world should be for kids and um, how COPPA applies. And people like myself are using uh, a COPPA as like a stretch Armstrong to help companies enforce some level of safety into their world. So it wasn't a free-for-all where kids could sign up, engage with adults, whatever, and have negative experiences. We were trying to utilize COPPA to make sure that there was parent involvement in that operators were properly paying attention in advance to their sensitive audience and not after a bad thing happened, which was at the time, the way it went. Nobody thinks about the moderation in advance. Nobody thinks about the community management in advance. They kind of realize it and then try and jerry-rig it into the process. And so in those kind of mid 2000s to late 2000s, a lot of it was very proactive new frontier of defining what a kid environment was, defining a virtual world, defining appropriate play, defining what um, safety was, what moderation was, but even more specifically, what is engagement? What is community management for youth? And what is the involvement and responsibility of the operations, the parents, and the community? It's kind of a long winding answer for you there. No, it's, it's excellent. I mean, I think, you know, I'm going to try and, and summarize that. Sure. Um, I mean, it it's it sounds like basically a lot of this started with registration and yes. data privacy. And then essentially as the sector evolved, 
um, into sort of fully fledged flash based virtual worlds, it became focused on community and, and sort of that awareness kind of grew out over what sounds like about 15 years, I guess, from sort of the first yeah. version of COPPA up to the second version of COPPA. Is that fair yeah. to say? And I, I would say COPPA is just a tool in a process of if you're going to build a camp and you're going to have kids come to the camp before operators started to utilize tools like COPPA to, to help ensure safety, it's like camps were run with no counselors, no adult supervision. They just made a fun right. environment and said, come and join and play. And so kids were coming in and joining and playing. And for the most part, kids were having fun, but then you had bullying, you had inappropriate exposure to content or adults, et cetera, that came in for nefarious reasons. So what we did in the late 2000s is really leaned and, and engaged with laws like COPPA, like Megan's Law, et cetera, to try and help make sure that sites that were creating these great marketing events, these great virtual worlds, these great opportunities, were also embedding the, the steps necessary to engage appropriately the audience, safeguard the audience, and make sure there was conversation going back and forth from the audience to help evolve the platform. Mm. And when you think about um, digital communities mm -hmm. today, what is, what's similar and what's different in terms of how operators are thinking about um, community and community management? I think 15 years ago, I think we were so desperate to get safety in place that the conversation started from you have to have an appropriate audience for children to say 2010, 11, 12, about the time when the second COPPA law came out, a lot of kid operators were, a lot of site operators for kids panicked because moderation community management costs money. Um, and it's scary. And why would we build an environment for a kid? Let's just go 13 up and hope for the best. And so there were so many fractured conversations of focus back then where we have learned and evolved. Now, from my experience, I see more kid uh, kid targeted sites who automatically know about COPPA. They know about these things and they're trying to focus not only on providing safety, but also really focusing on the positive. What are the fun elements? What, do, what should we give kids to keep them on, to, on topic or engaged in a positive manner or even tools to help them protect themselves? Um, not just from, you know, any kind of bullies or, or bad activities online, but also their own mental health. And that's been more of a relaxed kind of engaged experience that's happening now that, that we were too much in the building steps 15 years ago to even think that it could all kind of move together. Mm, and and um, we sort of mentioned about this before we start, we hit record, but Mm -hmm. Like one of the ways this is illustrated is, is in the evolving definition of what a community manager is, right? Oh, yeah. If you were hiring a community manager, what, 15 years ago meant one thing, but I mean, today it can be so many different things and then there's far more specialization, right? Oh yeah. And even the career tra trajectory for community manager is different now than it was. So like 15 years ago, community manager was really that person that was able to come in and do every, had wore many hats. Um, took up, you know, the torch for a lot of different things, but was the bona fide host of a party while also being the one constantly checking 
part of the, you know, the bouncers, AKA the moderators, just making sure the whole uh, uh, party planning, the whole digital experience was great. Well, that is a very complicated role for one person, especially at the size in which these environments exist now. So we're seeing, uh, and again, because Mod Squad, we, we provide these services to a whole range of different companies. Um, I've been very specific because I want to make sure my community managers are successful in what they're doing, but they also have a path to success. And so within the last, say, three years, four or five years, um, it, it's been clear there's there's your marketing social media manager who, you know, that that tends to be an external role within the company itself that we work with. But then we also have our social media manager on our side that focuses on community develops content and works within the social media teams of other companies. Uh, so you have your social media community manager. They are the folks, it's like if you went to, or if if uh, 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 Jimmy Fallon hired you to go to Times Square with a bullhorn to get everybody to do the cha-cha on New Year's Eve. Like that's a community manager. They're endless people. It's open. Anybody will be passing by. You have to grab their attention and bring them in, but it's very content and specific. Whereas a traditional community manager feels more like um, a party. You're, 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 you're the host. You have a walled garden. It's themed. You have to be on top of the theme. You kind of have a general idea of who's involved. You have to make sure the entertainment's there. And it's more of a, a, a one to group. As a one a social media manager is one to everybody. A community That kind of traditional community manager role is one to, you know, a group of people. And it could be in the game, it could be in a forum, it could be in uh, Facebook groups, it could be an ambassador program. Um, it, it's the idea of identifying a group of people and trying to build a great experience of loyalty and longevity. And then you have that moderation community manager, that trust and safety role that has blown up over the last five years. And that trust and safety role is someone who understands the community management from the interaction side, but really focuses on the development of safety to allow people to uh, be their best selves and work forward. They're behind the scenes much more. They're working with moderators. They're working with legal. They're working with local authorities where necessary. They're building um, health, like mental health rules. They're you know handling escalations. They're the men in black of the environment. Uh, they're the point person who has a grasp of all of the legal of all the laws in the different regions and making sure that they're really providing uh, and building a great, safe, ongoing experience um, and, and focusing on what that means because it's so nuanced and you have to go from the sky to the grass in detail very quickly. Mm -hmm. And is it fair to say that for small companies or startups, mm -hmm. or maybe even brands and agencies that are just trying to sort of build some kind of campaign experience, that typically they will probably outsource a lot of that now. And then the bigger companies, you know, the platforms and everyone else, they've got their own dedicated and, and growing trust and safety and community teams. Is, is that kind of the pattern you see? Or, or is that, is that, either too simplified or just plain wrong? No, it's it's actually interesting. There's a movement happening now where 
scale is is so necessary and uh focus and tasks i i've seen almost everybody move to some sort of hybrid model um they'll have their internal teams but their internal teams internal teams tend to be thinking about budgets thinking about um shape and scale uh planning out not only this quarter but the next few quarters working on you know management of tasks management of activities management of marketing uh and then like mod squad for example gets pulled in a lot to help supplement those teams um because it's not like a fte site you can really just filter down to exactly what tasks you look for if you want somebody who's just de dealing with your ambassador or your influencer group like managing them keeping them engaged because one thing i feel like a lot of companies were doing five six years ago is spending so much money on influencers giving them money having them run off and not paying attention until the campaign was over and then trying to get the data and call it a day whereas from our perspective, from a community perspective, you want to build a relationship with those influencers from micro nano up because you want to build loyalty and you want to build a respectful relationship there. And also they're putting investment into you. You want to make sure that they feel you're investing in them as well. Um, tracking, watching the data, keeping involved. And then once the campaign with the invest uh, with the uh, influencer is over, um, keeping track with them, engaging with them in social. Um, they clearly spent some time trying to build great content around you. So they should walk away with having a great experience and feeling that way about you and supported it as well. So I really like that kind of um, thoughtful development of programs. And that goes for uh, your ambassadors or your super users um, and beyond. So, so yeah, like I, I, I love the idea of having um, a, a really fleshed out team where people can focus on their tasks and be successful. And that mm. tends to be why companies come to us and uh, try and build out, you know, a, a really comprehensive program so that they can think of their company as the big picture and have us really focus on de development and value, authenticity and genuine interaction. So if, if, if I'm a small company and I'm building Mm -hmm. a consumer facing experience that it's going to have you know a community there in some shape or form like what what is literally the first step that you would advise for them uh understand understand what your tools are what's your scope right. mm -hmm. um a, a person is in the digital world a person is only as you know successful as the tools and availability that they have to connect so if you don't have the background data, if you don't have the tools, if you don't have the accessibility, it's very difficult. And your community manager is going to spend just as much time trying to connect as actually right. building those connections. Right. Um, so understanding what your tools are, also scope, what, what are your goals? What are you trying, what's the experience you're trying to build for your users? What's the big picture? Because community management can't be a siloed experience at all it has to be something that's tied into the whole game tied into all the the teams tied into every expectation to the end user because they're the your community manager is not only the one that's representing the community to the teams but it's also that person's representing the teams to the community and trying right. to build experience that bring those two things together so for me it's always about kind of understanding what your scale and scope from a tool sets uh point of view and then mm. moving into what is the experience you're trying to build, especially as a small business, 
because personality, high level experience, um, white glove, all of those things matter more because you have to facilitate that loyalty quickly. Right. Um, let's talk about younger audiences for a second. I mean, yeah. the, the, the one of the huge and equally sort of obvious shifts over the last 10 years has been that from essentially desktop, um, which has been kind of a shared screen, mm-hmm. you know, because it was probably a shared family laptop in some shape or form to something that's much more of a personal screen, like a, a phone or a tablet. I mean, this must have had fairly huge ramifications from, from a community management and, and sort of general safety point of view. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it, it was, I'd say it was pretty painful. <laughs> it happened in that 2011, 2012 period where kids were still, what everybody kind of forgets is the parent has the mobile and the child uses the parent's mobile. Sometimes they have their own iPad, which they take to dinner, but kids are still on computers at school. Um, they're still, you know, working. We want them to work within that laptop or that hard uh, desktop experience. And so in 2011, 2012, when it was apps were real hot and building kid apps were great. And there was a, a appetite for them. Um, it, there was a pinch and it, we lost a lot of kind of mid to low income kids who desperately needed those social interactions because sites were cl- shutting down. We lost Club Penguin. We lost a lot of different things as they moved to, to mobile. But then when they moved to mobile, there was more opportunity for, for on the go interaction um, and more emphasis on play as opposed to social and community. Uh, chat in a virtual world on your mobile is much slower, much more difficult than it was when you have a keyboard right in front of you. So there was a period of time where it was a little, a, a little tough to get that kind of sense of cohesiveness and togetherness within virtual worlds, which is part of a purpose for a virtual world. And I think that's why it really kind of moved into this hybrid of casual gaming meets virtual world vibe where you feel like you're still connecting with other people looks kind of like you are because of the dynamics of the animations um and you had some levels of prescripted engagement uh but it wasn't the same where you would sit on hours and chat with somebody um at that time uh since then they've made much more interactive tools uh the tech has evolved you have audio like if you look at kind of the teen plus games um discord uh various audio programs they use on top of the the video games they play or the virtual worlds they play and for youth they really kind of uh, for that 13 under they look to try and find ways to embed i think roblox does a really interesting job of building a dynamic universe that has both desktop and mobile capabilities, Minecraft as well, that allows for social interactions in a more limited capability, but still just as deep. Everybody had to get creative, honestly. (laughs) That was the big thing, is it wasn't a quick or easy transition at all. Right. Right. What are your thoughts? I mean, Dylan, you're smack in the middle of that. We, um, you and I had worked on a, a you know, a, a property for a while and, and it was very much, much de- desktop oriented. And when, when we kind of moved on from that, 
I think you opened up a whole new world of how kids interact with digital and how they can actually have those meaningful relationships in mobile environments. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's certainly been a fascinating fascinating evolution over the last ten years. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I think I think I would echo all of your comments. Yeah, um, and I I think it's it is probably overall it's it's been a little bit of a reinforcing trend, I guess, where um, more screen time begat more screen time. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think I, I haven't actually looked on the looked at the actual stats on this, but I would suspect that the growth of screen time was much faster on mobile and tablet than it was on desktop. Oh, yeah. Um, just because it was it was physically easier to do. And um, I, I have I have what I think or at least hope is a profound question. Sure. Um, for, for you. Do you think today? That, that digital citizens are better or worse to each other than they were five years ago? Oh, man. That is a... I, I got to preface this with. Um, adults have gotten worse. Children still show promise. Interesting. I... Children are constantly told kindness. They're, we're actively, if you watch programs, if you listen to education, if you listen to the people speaking to children, there is there is a desire to influence empathy and kindness more often with youth. Um, it, it's it's everywhere within the youth movement. Um, their television programs, their books, etc. There's yes, own yourself. Um, in, you know, uh, build your own intentions, et cetera. That's built into a lot of the hero story that kids are exposed to all the time, but also is the constant, uh, the, is the constant presence of empathy and, and kindness. Adults don't get it. It's not in television with the exception of Ted Lasso. Like <laughs> it's not, we do as a society, a very bad job of reminding people about being human. Huh. And that's half of my job. Like my, and you might have seen my social media, like in the last year and be it my personal life or just the professional, my professional life, kindness has been like a regurgitation for me. Like keep going back, keep going back. What is kindness? What is kindness? Moderation is about identifying behaviors that endanger people, but community management is finding ways to make a inclusive environment that is kind and welcoming to those who care about it. So those two things, while they oppose, they work hand in hand because you cannot be successful as a site without both of them. And if, if you leave off the kindness or the, the building of a great experience, you're going to get mm. trolls. Every community needs to have drama. Every community needs to have a little bit of that dopamine spike from highs and lows. That's what keeps people flowing and keeps the energy moving. But you can't have a community that wallows in it. Right. And, and that's like Twitter, all of those. I love Twitter. And I feel myself all the time having to influence it with, with kindness more. Kids. To get back to your question, five years ago, I think everybody was still excited about digital environments in a way in which there was discovery. I'd say now there is, a, particularly from the adult world, the concept that they are owed things, that uh, they have rights that are more demigod, 
and that their social interactions are only positive if, if it fits within their own needs. And kids are constantly wanting to connect and build and grow, and they're watching adults. And if they're not being reinforced through their own media that kindness trumps what they see, then we're going to see around the age of 14, 15, 16, which is what we see now a shift. Now, where I feel positive about the teen environment is what I see on TikTok. Yes, there are a lot of negative behaviors of, of bullying and harassment still, but there is a growing inclusive, beautiful environment coming out of different niche groups that are trying to support people better, being better parts of the environment. And I, that's what I would like to see. I mean, I was, I literally had this conversation of the weekend. I miss Mr. Rogers. I miss mm. him. He right. like that perspective. PBS does such a great job in the content they build for kids, but because they're not that giant licensing machine, it's not all over the place unless it's Elmo. Right. Whereas mm. uh, different environment, like motion monsters. This is why I love that, that, you know, super awesome exists because I think you're trying to build an environment of where kids can log in, parents can log in. There's a sense of trust and safety there, but you also have a variety of platforms and games that allow kids to come in and be kids. It's okay to be a kid. We don't have to make a seven-year-old seven year an adult just because the world is a scary place. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's, there's, there's so many places I want to jump off and ask some more questions. And we're going to have to do a follow-on a, a follow episode on this. What is what, when you think about all of this and these trends, Izzy, um, uh -huh. what what does the future of community moderation look like? Like what, um, what, what, what changes over the next few years? I think there needs to be more tools for self-protection, but also more emphasis on community helping to safeguard and protect community. Moderation is always going to be there. It's always going to need to be there. Um, uh, but helping within games, within how people play or engage together in social, there needs to be genuine, authentic tools that help de-escalate situations that people can do on their own, be it bubbles of protection. I remember, uh, cause we're, we're all moving towards the metaverse, right? Like look at what Facebook's in, uh, investing in and, and while pop culture hasn't jumped into it, like like we thought they would in 2007 with Second Life, uh, it's moving in that direction. Uh, and I remember getting into one of the virtual headset communities. I can't remember what it was, but I was in a tavern. And as soon as I turned on my mic, I was, you know, because clearly I'm a lady, um, the lady voice was heard and I people were using swords inappropriately upon my virtual person. Um, at the time I wished I could have just put a giant hamster ball that forced them back from me. Right. And so as we move more into the virtual sense, there's going to be more emphasis and thoughtfulness about the animations, the creativity and the environments themselves to help support moderation, positivity, appropriate interact interactions. And honestly, there's going to be more accountability as we go. Uh, uh, from individuals, anonymous. I totally understand everybody wanting to stay anonymous, but when it comes to super dangerous, especially in the kid world, it's it's not a healthy environment. So we have to be able to find ways to identify scary potential threat people early and and block them out. 
aside from mm -hmm. how we're doing it now. I think we're doing the best we possibly can, but it's still really tricky. Do, do you think that the, um, the, the debate between encryption and safety is properly understood outside of the, the community and, and trust and safety um, sector? Like I, I, Great question. I, I think people often, people often default to, we must have encryption without yeah. really thinking about, about sort of the, the, the safety aspects. Do you have any views on that? Yeah. I, like, I don't know that I have personal views. I think I feel like I have footnotes, right? Like I'm watching that conversation because I feel like we're in the very early middle section of that conversation. Um, accountability for action and personal responsibility are so important. And while I do appreciate anonymity and I do like the idea that we are not tracked as individuals. I mean, what is that Sandra Bullock movie from a couple of years ago where her whole identity was erased, right? Like that, that still haunts me as a concept. I like being able to be private. Like I, I have a foster daughter. I like the fact that she's not online, right? She has no ties to online anything. However, accountability, you can't escape accountability. If one person harms, like with the intent, digital harm is a real thing. We have seen this over the last 10 years. It impacts mental health. It, it doxing, swatting, these things move from digital to real environment. Mm -hmm. Live streams, all of that stuff is huge. And, and there has to be some level of accountability. If you're going to put yourself in a public atmosphere and put your own opinions, harm, et cetera, on other people, there's, you can't just walk away from that scot-free. And I think that that's the part in this giant conversation I don't know the answer to. And I don't right. know the right thing. And, I, and it, with data encryption, I appreciate that. And I don't want to lose that sense of freedom and, and disconnection. However, you can't, and you can't go into a situation with the intent of harming somebody and not be held accountable. And that's the part that I just keep pointing at and waiting to see how that's going to be solved. Right. Right. Um, okay. Last question to, to wrap this up and let's, let's go back uh, briefly to looking at the future. So something we're asking everyone in, in uh, season three sure. is to make a prediction um, for the kids industry, ideally, about next year, about 2022, what, what do you see in your near-term crystal ball, Lizzie? Oh, gosh. I, I would like to see um, virtual worlds return to, the where, to where they were in 2010, 2011. Will they be there? I don't know, because I have found hmm. this last year, every time I think we're going to go a certain direction, it gets tampered by global events or overall sensitivity, right? Um, I would like to see a little bit of that metaverse because if if we're going to continue in this mm. pandemic state that we're in and or even just God forbid we get to a place where where uh, we're constantly encountering kind of dangerous health activities like this, I'd like kids to still have that freedom to explore and engage and an environment to roam and fantasy and belief and wonder. Mm. And I, those things are so important. Like I loved virtual worlds. I loved, you know, as a practitioner going into different virtual worlds and watching behaviors, identifying behaviors, building key.
key ex activities and experiences for those kids so they could come in in invisible padded walls and have that really safe but quirky, mm -hmm. fun, dynamic experience. Um, I miss that. I miss kids going into Club Penguin and playing playing uh, uh, lava or all just utilizing their digital environment to think beyond what they're given, like having an igloo filled with like dog bowls where they make it into a, a pedicure manicure spot. That's so cool, right? I want to see that again. I want to see imagination. We right now feed kids everything, everything. And the only place we're seeing them break out of what we're feeding them is by creating uh, video content. When they create video content, they're doing it on their own unless they're coding. And, the, and so I, I want to get back to the whimsy. So it's, so, so 2022, the return yeah. of Club Penguin. Yeah, we're I'd like it. to see that. I'd like to see it, um, I, but like a day, like I'd like to see them figure out how to solve um, the 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 converse the conversation part of it because Club Penguin kind of dwindled when you couldn't actually type out responses because the type box in your phone was so small it was hard to both move your character and chat and typing with little hands on those little buttons is difficult. That's the, figuring out how to better communicate and allow for whimsy. I think is so key. Well, I think uh, I think Lance and Chris occasionally listen to this podcast, so you never know that 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 may influence them in their thinking. Oh, um, they're wonderful. Izzy Nice, head of digital in Mod Squad, thank you so much for joining Kid Tech today. It's been fantastic. Dylan, you're wonderful. Thank you so much.